Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of The Package Tourist, hosted by yours truly, The Package Tourist, and the magical mystery tour called Life, Matthew DiBiaz. Tonight's guest is sports author Perry Lepko. Perry lives in the greater Toronto, Canada area and has been an award-winning journalist for the Toronto Star newspaper and various automotive, horse racing, and golfing print and online publications for years. He has published nine books dealing with thoroughbred racing, curling, and bios of football player Doug Flutie and pro wrestling legend Bret Hart. However, last year, he co-authored with uh, NHL analyst Eddie, uh, former NHL player and analyst Eddie Olchick, titled Eddie Olchick, Beating the Odds in Hockey and Life, which is now released in paperback. And today, he has released his latest book, which he co-authored with former NHL player and present-day hockey analyst Nick Kiprios, Undrafted, Hockey, Family, and What It Takes to Be a Pro. Perry, how did you co-author your last two books with Eddie Olchick and Nick Kiprios? Did you approach the two men with the idea of doing the book, or did they approach you? No, no. In the first, Eddie and I uh, go back to like uh, 1989 when he, he owned horses at Woodbine Racetrack, and I was covering horse racing for the Toronto Sun. So we had kept in touch over the years, and... Um, when he beat his uh, State Street colon cancer battle, I had done some articles with him, but when he beat you know, his, his battle, I said, again, would you like to do a book? Because we had talked about it once before and it didn't go anywhere. And he said, yeah, my wife and I would really like to do it. So that was, that was the impetus for the, um, the book with Eddie. And as far as Nick, uh, again, we had known each other and, and had actually tried to do a book one time. So Eddie didn't work out, but... Uh, I approached him again, and, and this time I put together a really good plan, and he said, if you can get a publisher, I'll do it. And I was lucky enough to get a publisher, a fairly good one, Simon & Schuster. So we did that project, and I think it's easy, and you can relate to this. When, when you're doing a book, particularly if you're doing it about somebody, they don't understand what it's all about because it's kind of like it's an abstract idea until they actually see the finished product. So for both these uh, individuals, I really had to be like a director and just kind of tell them what my vision was and to just say, trust me, when it's done, you'll really appreciate the end result. And um, that's basically what, what's happened in both cases. Perry, please tell our listeners, can you compare and contrast uh, Eddie Olchick's and Nick Kiprios's, uh styles as hockey players and as TV analysts? What were they like as hockey players, both men? Well, Eddie was a first-round draft choice, third overall. 1984 um, with the Chicago Blackhawks. So he was a, a hometown hero, got drafted by his hometown team, and it was a huge story. And Eddie was an offensive player. He had played with the U.S. Olympic team in 1984. He had a really heavy shot, and he started producing a lot of, you know, big numbers right off the top. Um, in the case of Nick, he was also um, – 1984 eligible, but he wasn't drafted, hence the title undrafted. Uh, Eddie played 16 years in the NHL, uh, became a U.S. Hockey Hall of Famer. Nick played eight years in the NHL and was remembered mainly for uh, his fisticuffs, but they were both part of the New York Rangers 1994 Stanley Cup winning team. And from what I, I was able to find out in talking to both of them, Eddie was basically um, what they call like a black ace when he was at the Rangers because Mike Keenan, who was the coach, really had no use for Eddie. And Nick, because of the style that he played, 
know, he was able to get bio again. He didn't play on a regular basis. So it's really two contrasting styles, but they had often talked in a, in a few other, uh, you know, the black aces about where they would be in 20 years. And it was kind of, you know, said jokingly that, you know, Eddie would be a broadcaster Nick would be a broadcaster. Um, Glenn Healy was another one and they all ended up becoming broadcasters. So it's, um, it's an interesting compare and contrast, but the bottom line is both know how to talk, both know how to, you know, convey the essence of the game and, and provide some input. Nick was, became not only just an analyst, but he became more or less a, a reporter as well. And I don't know of any other NHL broadcast who was a broadcaster who had played the game that was consistently breaking stories. And that became a big part of why Nick, uh, you know, uh, had a 20 year broadcasting career. I'm kind of interesting about that. So why was, why did Nick Kiprios get more, you know, getting more repertorial as a hockey analyst? I mean, what led him to pursue that line where he's not just, you know, commentating, you know, he's, He's digging up stories and finding, you know, finding new information. What led him to that? Did he did he discuss that in the book? Yeah, it, it was somewhat organic because you know Nick's a guy everybody likes him, right? So he was getting information, hearing of former players and whatnot that you know this guy's going to get traded, this guy's going to get a contract, and the rival network TSN, um, their big star, if you will, was Bob McKenzie, who just recently retired. And, you know, when, when Sportsnet, which was trying to battle TSN, you know, was consistently, you know, having their uh, spirits broken by what TSN was reporting, Nick would go up to people at Sportsnet and say, oh, I knew about that. And they would say, well, why didn't you tell us? He says, well, you didn't ask me to, right? You know, but if you want, I'll, I'll start giving you these stories, right? And that's basically what happened. He started to break some big-time stories, and that led to uh, some... Um, feature stories he did, which were, you know, fairly significant. You know, one was on Mike Danton, who was the, uh, that went to jail for, you know, allegedly, you know, trying to murder his agent. Another was on Mark Messier. Uh, he went to Sweden to do an interview with Matt Sundin. So Nick was able to not only break stories, but was able to really understand what makes a good story and how to package that in, into, uh, into, uh, you know, video content. Perry, when you were doing both books, what were the greatest surprises you learned about both men while working on their their respective memoirs? Well, I can't say I was really surprised about anything because the one thing I try to do when I'm doing these projects is I try to research as much as I can. That that helps me and it also helps them because you know, sometimes their memories not may not be great in specific details and I'll say well, remember this specific time and, um, and they go, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. So it was helpful in that respect. I guess maybe if there's one incident, maybe this is more towards, um, um, Nick was that Nick was telling me, you know, when he was, uh, into fairly early into his broadcast career, um, one of his former teammates, Ty Domi actually called him up during a game from the dressing room to say that he wasn't happy with, what Nick was saying about Wade Belak and, you know, the attitude of Nick at the time was, I can't believe you're calling me in the middle of a game to rip on me because of what I'm saying about Wade Belak. Why don't you put the phone down before, you know, the coach sees, you know, 
talking to you on your on your cell phone in the middle of a game, right? So that was kind of an interesting anecdote. And insofar as um, like Eddie was concerned, again, I had really put a lot of time into really understanding him from so many different respects. But the best thing about Eddie was it was a book about really about his hockey career, his broadcasting career, um, his love of horse racing, in particular gambling, and the whole part about the uh, his battle with stage three colon cancer. So to me, the best part of the book was him talking about, you know, betting on horses because he's very good at it. And again, when you're dealing with something like talking about your life and, and a battle you've gone through cancer, it's it's really emotional. And there were some, you know, tough things that he, you know, for him to discuss, but he did it. And um, but he loved talking about betting. And the one thing that we did differently uh, in Eddie's book and something I'd never done before was that his wife, Diana, said, you know, we need to find a way to get the, their four kids, you know, somehow involved in the book. So we decided we were going to have a chapter for uh, four stories. Each one of them was going to talk about how they related to their father's sickness. And it was like four people looking at a painting and each one of them looking at it from a different point of view. So a lot of people have said that chapter was fairly poignant. And Eddie said that he didn't read that chapter until the book had already been published because he knew it was going to be very tough and emotional. And it was, but again, you know, sometimes you try things and they work and sometimes they don't. And in this particular case, I think it was one of the better parts of the book. Now, you anticipated my next question because I was going to ask you, Both in both of your books, both men endured a medical crisis that altered their lives, and you just told our listeners that Eddie Olchek battled colon cancer. How how did it change his life, I mean, the colon cancer? I mean, has, he has completely licked it. Is that correct? He has completely licked it? Yeah, it was six months after his treatment or his final treatment. He was uh, declared, um, you know, cancer-free, and that was a, it was really important for him because, you know, we described that how, it, you know, he had like a stomach ache, and he was actually supposed to go to a, cover a horse race in New Jersey, and you just told them like, I'm not feeling well, and they said, well, you must be really sick if you're going to miss, you know, covering a horse race because that's how much he loved it. So this stomach ache. Um, and basically, um, he was constipated, led to him going to a hospital, and they found out that he, he had a blockage. They had surgery, and they subsequently found out, you know, uh, he may have cancer, and, and the biopsy, you know, determined that it was cancer. So I think that, I think Eddie, one thing he told me that he learned through this whole process is that he's a lot, a lot tougher than he ever thought he was, and he wanted to impart that message to people that are going through cancer that, it's a tough thing you're going to go through, but you'll get through it and you'll find out you're more tough than you ever thought. So that was a big part of, of, of what he went through. And, um, you know, his, his whole thing about the book was he said, um, I think the book will, um, will make you laugh, will make you cry, and, and you know, uh, will make you love a little bit more. And so he's a very emotional person. And so that, you know, the idea about life and love and family was a big part of the, of the book that like a running thread through it. In the case of Nick, in a preseason game, you know, in his eighth year of hockey, the eighth season of NHL hockey, he suffered a severe concussion. And mm. if you go on the video and you, you search Nick Kiprios and Ryan Vandenbush, 
what you'll see is one of the most sickening fights that you'll ever see because it was basically a one-punch knockout. But Nick was already, you know, he was already knocked out before we hit the ice. Then when he hit the ice, he hit it really hard and there's blood spewing out of his head, basically. I don't mean to be too graphic, but he, he basically decided then and there, the doctors helped him decide that, you know, it wasn't worth jeopardizing his health to go on, you know, um, after such a severe head injury. And by quirk of fate, um, Sportsnet was starting up uh, in Canada and they were looking for, uh, you know, potential hockey broadcasters. And Nick was able to get an interview with the head of Sportsnet and, um, you know, he did very well in the interview and he got, he got the, um, the job and a year into the job, he was actually fired. But through, again, another quirk of fate, they gave him a second chance. And the one thing that was consistent in Nick's hockey career and his broadcasting career is he worked. He really worked hard to get ahead. And, you know, we put a lot of time in the book and he worked hard. And, and I think that's reflected in, you know, the end result. Now, considering the, uh, the concussion that Nick Kiprios uh, suffered from, that was before all the concussion protocols, correct? That's before we had this new awareness of concussion and all that? Is that when, is that when it happened? Yeah, and I think right around that time, the NHL you know, was coming out with some kind of a study on concussions. So, yeah, he was ahead of the curve, so to speak, in terms of what concussions and how, how, you know, really deadly it could be and how, you know, traumatic physically, emotionally, mentally, you know, it could be for, particularly for fighters. Yeah. So he was, I would say that for the most part, it was a bad concussion, but it wasn't enough um, to affect his way of life. You know, he had some issues for a while, but got over them. And again, I'll give him credit. He was smart enough to realize you know, I damaged my, my head, my damaged my brain. Do I need to do it again to prove anything? And mm. he decided he didn't want to. Yeah. When you were working with Eddie and Nick with their books, did you feel that both men were content with what they accomplished with their lives? Or did you get a sense that they were still striving to achieve more? What was your sense when you were working with both Eddie and Nick? I think that they realized as they were going through the process of recounting their hockey careers that they had done, they had done pretty good stuff or good things. Like Eddie had a 16 year hockey career and he accomplished quite a bit. So he said, you know what, maybe at the time when his career was over, he didn't really appreciate it until doing a project like this, even perspective on what he had done. It was the exact same thing with Nick. Cause again, both of these individuals, when I approached them, were kind of thinking like, is there enough to do a book? Like, is anybody really going to care? And as they were going through the process, you know, they were almost like reading their own lives, going chapter by chapter and finding out, yeah, I had an eight year NHL career. I was never even drafted in the NHL. I had a 20 year broadcasting career. Wow. You know, I, I've done some pretty good things. And I think there was a tremendous sense of contentment that they had done some pretty, pretty good things. And, you know, it was reason to be proud. Harry, when you co-author someone's autobiography, how difficult a process is it? What's it like translating a person's life story into print? The one element that I try to do is I try to find, well, again, I, before I said I did so much research, that's a big part of it. I like to know the subject almost better than the subject knows himself or herself. Mm. It shows, you know, I've taken an interest in what I'm trying to do. 
I also like to start off each book with something very dramatic, and that kind of sets the tone um, for what I think will be something that we'll pick up later on in the book. So it's not just, you know, I was born in such and such a town and I started hockey. That comes in later on, but in the case of Eddie, it was I wanted to find what was the most dramatic thing. Why did he want to do this book? And that was when he was told he had cancer. So we, mm. we start off the book with that, with that kind of element. And with Nick, we started off by when he had that fight that ended his career. So, yeah, I'm trying to find their voice. But what I'm really trying to find is why are we doing this book to begin with? Like, why was he, I was able to convince you to want to do the book. But what was it that I said that made you say yes? And again, in, in Eddie's book, I was doing it, it completely out of sequence. It wasn't linear in any way. If anything, we went backwards. So it was kind of like shooting a movie out of sequence. Mm. With Nick's, it was fairly linear. So it was, um, it was fun for me to do it Eddie's way. Um, it was okay to do it Nick's way. But it, again, the end result is I kind of knew in my mind what I needed to do. And yeah, I had to capture their voice. So if they were reading it and they were saying, well, that doesn't sound like I would say that, then we'd work on something like that. Because I had done an earlier book with, with someone who was kind of frustrated with the way I was writing it, saying, I don't talk like that. And so in this particular case, she was a broadcaster. Her name is Colleen Jones. Mm. And um, she kind of took a hold of what I wrote and kind of rewrote it so she could feel comfortable with it. And again, similar to Eddie and, and, and Nick, when she saw that book, it was a realization that, yeah, this is what we've been doing for the last few months. And sometimes it was very frustrating to do it, but the end result was worth it. Perry, can you please tell our listeners, where can people find these books? Are they available in stores, these books? I think the easiest way to find these books is by going to Amazon, either Amazon or Amazon uh, Canada, because you can order the book and find it there. Um, as you referenced earlier, um, Eddie's book, which became a bestseller and uh, is now going to go into the process of being paperback. So if you want to, you know, if you didn't get it, the, the hardcover, you want to save a few bucks, you can get it that way. Nick's book, and again, Barnes & Noble or any of your, your popular bookstores, they should be there. Nick's book just came out today and, you know, and, and, and it's going to be represented in all the big bookstores because this Nick. Nick's book will do extremely well for a variety of reasons, if none other than the fact that everybody likes Nick and he's got a good story. And yeah, that book too, you can order online. So it won't be hard to find these books and I encourage people to read it. Eddie's is a very, very emotional book. And as I've said to other people, if you're looking for a re if you know somebody who has cancer or if you know somebody who's a cancer caregiver or caretaker, this book will help you in, in either dealing with the person who has cancer or just dealing with the process of being a caretaker. And Nick's book, I think it's just, I think it's a really fun book. It's not as emotional as Eddie's book, but it's, it's a good hockey story. I think they're both very inspirational. Perry, where were you born and raised? I was born in Toronto, in the North end of Toronto. And, um, at a very early age, I knew what I wanted to do in life, and I knew I wanted to be a writer, and I knew that hopefully someday I could write books. So I've been uh, I've been very fortunate that I've been able to accomplish my dreams, and 
you know, as I learned through doing these books and trying to help other people who are doing books, it's like you have to believe in yourself. You have no one will believe in yourself more than you will. And that's been kind of the way I've lived my life, in particular as it applies to writing. Perry, um, when I always love to ask, when I interview an author, I always like to ask, this is a standard question, because I'm always curious about this. When you were growing up, what authors did you read? Who were your favorite authors? And of your favorite authors, did any of them give you the inspiration and the spark to become a writer in your own right? It wasn't necessarily uh, like a, an author. It was more, my best friend's father was a sports writer with the Toronto Star. And I idolized him. And not only because he was a sports writer, just because of the way he wrote, the way he conducted himself. So I wanted to be like him. His name is Al Sokol. And Al really helped me a lot when I was starting to get into the business. Um, I may have been on an assignment where he was there representing the Toronto Star and I was representing the Toronto Sun, but he made sure the people I needed to talk to knew who I was and he didn't do that with you know with other rival papers it was just because of the relationship that we had and uh I think my first book I dedicated it to Al and uh you know it's it was important for me and I hope that other people have that same uh, privilege to have someone that's in the business that is willing to work with you so that you know hopefully you know your career is exactly what you want it to be and my career is exactly what I wanted it to be. And I'm always trying to help either young writers or young authors to understand, you know, if you want to write a book, here's what you need to know. And, uh, and here's what you need to promote it. And I've tried to tell other people that one of the things I did with Eddie's book that I'd never done before was I took that book with me everywhere. And I would have people pose with it. I had famous people posing with it. Wow. And um, they were all courteous about it, right? And I just kept putting those pictures, you know, on Facebook, on Twitter, whatever, right? And that was my way of creating promotion for the book, but also creating promotion for me. And some people said, you know, what you're doing is it's it's pretty ingenious or it's pretty clever. So it worked for me. And uh, Triumph Books thought it was an okay idea. And now, you know, Simon Schuster thinks it's a pretty good idea. I got to ask you this because I have a nephew who was a degenerate pro wrestling fan and he loved Bret Hart. What was it like working with Bret Hart on his memoirs? That was really interesting because I've always been a wrestling fan, but um, I wouldn't say I was a hardcore wrestling fan at that point. It's, it's, so talking to Bret, there's Bret Hart the wrestler and then there's Bret Hart the person. And it's two separate people. So when Bret Hart's coming out there doing his promos and talking in a really booming voice, and then you sit down and talk to him, he's talking very quietly. It's like, that's the difference between the wrestler and, and the person. It would be like, like an actor. What you see on stage is not what you see when you're talking to them. So I found that kind of interesting. And um, I don't think, you know, that book that I did with Bret Hart was supposed to be a real memoir, but it didn't turn out that way because... He was having some issues with the WWE, and he was also worried that if he wrote all these things and he went into the ring, you know, someone would deliberately try and injure him, whereas before it was kind of an, an accidental kick by Goldberg that ended his career. So, I mean, to, to be honest with you, yeah, it was such a highlight to be able to interview somebody like, like Bret Hart. And, you know, rightly or wrongly, I'll tell you a little story right now. When I was writing the book about Doug Flutie, 
I had a chance to uh, interview um, the man who is now the president of the United States, Donald Trump. Oh my! And my he was the owner of uh, the New Jersey football team. Yep. When Doug Flutie was the quarterback at the time. Yep. So I wanted to interview everybody I could interview. Doug, uh, Mike Ditka was one of the people I talked to. So I said, you know what? My wife said, just give it a shot. I called up, the, you know, Trump Towers. They put me through to his secretary. And three weeks later, I got the call that he wanted to do it. And I had all these questions I wanted to ask him. So when the call came through and there was a uh, Perry, yeah, this is uh, Mr. Trump's on the line. He would like to talk to you. Okay? So we started the conversation. I asked him the first question and I sent these questions ahead of time. He just answered it any way he wanted. He didn't really care what the question was. He just answered it, right? Yeah. It's somewhat similar to what he does now. And I had 15 minutes with him when it was, when it was over, you know, I just felt like, you know, uh, like the character Bud, um, I forget it was in Wall Street, and he just says, I feel like I bagged a lion. And to me, what, that's what it was. I yeah. bagged a lion. I got to talk to Donald Trump. I never knew the guy was going to be, his aspirations would one day lead to him become president of the United States. But, you know, when you write a book, if you've got the ambition, you can try to reach anybody. And if it doesn't happen, you at least take a shot. So that's been a fun process of writing books. Perry, what will be your next book project, and when? what's the subject matter, and when can we expect its release? I wish I had that answer. You know, I'm looking at various different people, uh, various different projects. There is a possibility that it could be a wrestling book, a very high-profile wrestler um, that I've talked to and is interested, but it's just not the time right now. So... Uh, Call me in a couple of months, I'll let you have the answer, or maybe I'll just put it on Facebook. This is going to be my next book. And by the way, thanks a lot for taking the time to, to uh, interview me and, you know, giving me the chance to not only talk about books, but just talk about, you know, what it's like being a writer. And you know that you've written books. Yes. It's the greatest thrill in the world when you get that book and see it and feel it. Because you spend all this time working probably in isolation. I compare it to like, preparing to run a marathon. You spend all this time and you run the marathon and the marathon is real, whereas before it's just a concept. Perry, I'm deep, I deeply appreciate your kindness and your generosity. And when your next book comes out, please let me know. I want you on my show again so we can talk about that book. Okay, Perry? Yeah, again, thanks a lot for uh, taking the time to talk to me and uh, good luck with your show. I know you've had a lot of good guests and uh, it's, it's good to be appreciated. Thank you so much, Perry, and you take care, and please be safe. You and your family, please be safe. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Have a nice night. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen, for next week's show, where I will be interviewing military memorabilia collector James Sinclair. Thank you, and good night.